the psalmist in Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations in His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord, our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. We began last week looking at the Psalms. And we said that the Psalms are the greatest of the Old Testament classics. Those are those Old Testament writings that are most commonly found on the pages of the New Testament writings. It's the greatest classic. It's the favorite book of the Bible for a lot of people. A lot of you enjoy reading them. A lot of you are familiar with several of them, especially the one we looked at last week, which was Psalm 23. The most famous of all the Psalms. This week we're looking at one of the least famous. We're looking at one that is lesser known and one that is less familiar to us. And we're doing that on purpose. Last week I mentioned that the Psalms are a prayer book. They're a hymnal, so to speak, for the Jewish people. They are the hymn book, the prayer book of our Bibles. And they are of benefit to us. They're of benefit to us not because we're familiar with them, but because we ought to be familiar with them. And we have a way of locking on to our favorites and forgetting those that are not our favorites. We have a a way of becoming even better familiar with those things that are more known to us and neglecting those with which we are less familiar. And so we're looking here at Psalm 113 this morning to help us all to see that there are words in these prayers that are offered to us in the Scriptures, that there are verses in these hymns that are given to the church that are of benefit to us and that can be incorporated into our lives of prayer before God. Notice the psalmist's fixation on the name of Yahweh in this psalm. He begins, praise the Lord. Lord, you notice there again is in short capitals. Praise Yahweh. Praise, O His servants. The name of the Lord. He says that the name of the Lord is to be exalted. And it is the purpose of worship to lift high God's name. His name is associated with His character. It speaks to who He is. To know a person's name is to know something about them. Something intimately related to them. Something that you can associate with a face. We, we have mentioned in, uh, in our lives, most all of us, we've mentioned when we finally meet someone, oh, it's good to finally put a, a face with that name. Right? You've probably said that before. 
You can never forget a face. You might be bad with names, but you can never forget a face. And when the psalmist says that we are to praise the name of the Lord, it's he's speaking to the fact that we ought to lift high God's name. Because in knowing His name, we're able to connect His character to that name. Yahweh is the one who is faithful. He's not like the other gods, which are God, not gods at all anyhow. He is always faithful. He is always dependable, even when it costs Him. He is always merciful. He is always slow to anger and abounding with love as the psalmist along with the other writers of the Old Testament say in that beautiful refrain throughout the Old Testament. The psalmist says that this Yahweh is the exalted one. Notice he says he's high above all nations. Who else is like him? Who else is as exalted as He is? What other God is there that transcends all of the world because He made all of it? He's so high and exalted, the psalmist says, that He has to condescend or to stoop down to see what's going on in the world. And that's not speaking of God as being oblivious to us, it's speaking of the fact that He's so great and He's so mighty. He so transcends us. He is so exalted that He would have to come down a few rungs, as it were, to our world. And it is the purpose of the psalm to lift even higher God's name, to praise Him, to exalt Him, He is the one who is exalted, and yet He is the one who condescends, who comes down, who cares about the affairs of men. The psalmist is fixated on the name of Yahweh because it is this named God This one who has revealed himself in real time and in real space, who has revealed himself to Moses, who has revealed himself before that to Abraham. It is this one who has revealed himself and has given his name to his people. It is this one who enters into our time and space to do great things. He comes and he lifts up those who are lowly. He humbles Himself and He exalts those who are humble. He's high and lifted up and yet He comes down. And those who are low and despondent, He raises up, the psalmist says. Notice that downward and then upward movement that the psalmist is speaking to. We kind of, whether you knew it or not, looked at that last week when we were talking about the character of the psalms themselves. They are received by us as God's Word to us, and they are given to us, however, to be raised up, to be lifted up as our words to God. These are our prayers. These are our hymns. And so there's a downward and yet upward motion in the nature of the book of Psalms itself. And there's a downward and and upward motion in the nature of what God does, the exalted one, 
as He draws near to us, as He condescends Himself, He raises up those of us who are lowly and of need. His Word comes down and our Word is raised up. He is exalted and yet He condescends and draws near. He pours out down upon us His grace and His mercy. And as John Wesley said, as He pours out grace, we ought to lift up our praise. That is, our response is to praise His name as He condescends and draws near to us. He reveals Himself. He makes Himself the high and exalted One. The One who transcends time enters it. The One who transcends space, He made it and He comes into it. And we, in response to His revealing Himself, we lift up our prayers to Him. And we make known, as the New Testament says, we reveal our needs and our wants to Him. There's a a mutual relationship at play in our relationship with God. We are not passive agents acted upon by Him. And yet notice also, the movement always begins downward in redemptive things. When God redeems, it is always God initiating. It is always God drawing us, God working upon our lives even before we know Him. He is setting things in motion. He's praying upon you. As Blake was singing uh, the, the special, I, I was struck by, that, by that, um, that line, the trap I set for you seems to have caught my leg instead. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's, that's what the story of redemption is all about. We think, we, we think we've got God pegged. We think we're looking for Him and what we find is that He's actually been looking for us. That's a part of the testimony of C.S. Lewis's life. He says that he was the most reluctant convert. He thought he had God on a box. He thought he had figured it all out. He thought that he, he, he thought that he could run from God. He thought that he had set God up. What he finds is that God is drawing him in. What a beautiful, beautiful image we find in the nature of the book of Psalms. In this psalm specifically, God who is high and exalted, He comes down, He draws near, He condescends, and He lifts up those who are hurting and suffering. He makes them princes. The one who is barren, He gives children and a family. He makes a home for her. I told you when Cheryl was sharing about uh, this, this young man at the Children's Center. I told you, keep that in mind. Remember that when we get to the sermon. The the, the story of of one who is in deep and desperate need and is finding life being put back together. Terry spoke of that very same thing as part of her testimony. All the questions of how are we going to get through this? What's going to happen? What next? Finding that God is putting life back together. Picking up the pieces and making something beautiful 
to be lifted up in praise and thanksgiving. She mentioned also that um, that she and Doug were told that they would never be expecting. And look, they've got two great kids who are living great lives. I remember when Lindsay and I were uh, first married, after a couple of years not having kids, we thought, well, something must be wrong. And we um, checked with doctors and were told, yeah, it's... Uh, it's just not going to happen. You're just not going to be able to have children. That was part of part of the uh, part of the background of us deciding to move to Mississippi so that I could go to seminary. Well, if there aren't going to be any kids for a while, then perhaps now's the time to do seminary. Maybe one day we'll adopt. Who knows? And it was just a, within a couple of within just a couple of months of being in Mississippi that we found out, hey, we're expecting. You know, you pray, Lord, Lord, we, we're trusting in You. We're trusting in Your timing. We're trusting in Your provision. We're trusting in You to, to meet our needs. We were praying for children. In fact, she took a picture, uh, put it up on Facebook just a, a couple of months ago, a book that she ran across. It was some daily devotional for couples who, who long for children. And she said, wow, this brings back a lot of memories from you know eight, nine years ago. It's funny how the Lord is always able to, to condescend to draw near, to meet our needs, to raise us up, to do great things. That's the story of redemption. God, seeing His people in need, comes. He makes Himself known. And He raises them up. And so the psalmist says, it's because of this that I can praise the Lord. This psalm, Psalm 113, is the first psalm of a series of psalms that are known to the Jewish people as the Hallel. Hallel simply means praise. It's where we get the word Hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Notice the J-A-H at the end. Yah, that's, that's for Yahweh, short for Yahweh. That word, hallelujah, when you hear David holler it out at the end of a, of a hymn, he's saying praise the Lord. You didn't know he knew Hebrew, but he does. If you see it spelled hallelujah, you might think, wait a minute, somebody not uh, check their spelling? That's actually the Greek uh, the, the Greek word is just, it's transliterated from the Hebrew. They just spell it phonetically in Greek. The Greek language doesn't have an H. Uh, the Greeks were kind of arrogant and, you know, they were kind of uh, ethnocentric and they thought the, that the letter H was kind of a vulgar, uh, it, it was a vulgar letter. It was a letter that, uh, that just the barbarians used. It said they made the sound, but they didn't spell it in a letter. They just had a little mark that kind of symbolized the sound. But hallelujah, praise the Lord, is how this psalm begins and ends. And the Hallel in the Hebrew Bible is from Psalm 113 through 118. And the, the Jewish people, they would have that, those, those psalms memorized, and they, those were their prayers. They lifted up this in prayer to God for all that He had done. 
psalmist says, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord because of who He is and because of what He has done. His name is exalted, high above the heavens, high above all nations. He even has to come and stoop down. He has to condescend to our world. And yet He does. And when He comes, when He draws near, when He makes Himself small, He makes us to be big. He lifts us up, raises us up, meets the needs of those who are hurting and are humbled. Hallelujah, the psalmist says. There's reason to praise. Because there's reason to praise, and because the Scriptures call us to make our requests known to God, because they invite us to cast our cares upon Him, because He cares for us, because of that, we have reason to pray. Because God has revealed Himself, we have calls to reveal our needs to Him. Because God has drawn near to us, we have calls to draw near to Him. To look to Him in trust and in prayer. I mentioned last week, I mentioned just a few moments ago, that the Psalms are a prayer book. This is the book of common prayer before there was a book of common prayer. These were prayers, these were hymns that the Hebrew people knew. Many of them being memorized. These were their prayer life. And I want to encourage you. Use the Psalms. Use them. Make use of this book. Don't think of it as just the center of your Bible. That's another thing. You may not have ever noticed that uh, if you grab your Bible and open basically right up, kind of eyeball at it, open at the center, you're probably going to be in the book of Psalms. It's a pretty big book, so you got a good, uh, good shot of making it there. It's right there in the center. We ought to make the Psalms the center of our prayer life. It's not some old archaic book that's now obsolete and we've got something else that we can use. In fact, the book of common prayer, it includes the Psalms. The Anglican church, in writing the book of common prayer, they knew that there is no prayer life that's not grounded in the Psalms. I want to encourage you, make use of these psalms. Make use of them. God has given to you a book of prayers. A book of songs to be sung. A book filled with praise. Make use of it. Make use of it daily. A lot of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just keep piling on you guys. I'm giving you so many homework assignments. Um, some of you are telling me I need to start reading uh, something. Where should I begin? Others of you are saying I'm trying to read through this devotional book. Others are saying I've been reading through a devotional book. I'm trying to, to add in some more scripture. I'm going to add something else. Read a psalm a day. Read a psalm a day. It won't take you 40 seconds. It took us like 40 seconds to read Psalm 113 here. And that's not one, it's not the shortest. It's nowhere near the shortest. The shortest is 117. Look at that one. Maybe start there. 
really short. Now, stay away from 119. It's really, really long. <laughs> Maybe break that one down into, uh, down into shorter sections. In fact, it's already broken down for you because it's, a, it's an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet, Psalm 119 is. And so you'll see these little words that you can't pronounce, lamed, things like that. Those are Hebrew letters, the, Hebrew, uh, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But use the Psalms daily. If, if you're going to be praying daily, why not start with the prayers that God said, hey, this is a pretty good set. Use them not just daily, but this is going to freak some of you out. Use them audibly. You know, prayers are meant to be voiced. It's hard. It is hard to pray without... It's impossible to pray without using words. It is hard to pray without voicing those words. Look, I'm your pastor. Some of you probably think that I have the most incredible prayer life. It is hard to pray. It is hard for me to pray without, without speaking. I'm one of those crazy people that if I'm praying in the car, I'm moving my mouth and I'm alone and people are wondering, is he singing? What's he doing? When um, I'm in the middle of a book about the life of C.S. Lewis, and one of the things that strikes me about his life is that he was an aspiring poet. His dream, his life's longing was to be an accomplished, popular poet. A successful poet. And he was a disastrous poet. I have, um, I have a couple of uh, books of his poems, and they, they're, they're tiresome. They're tough. Uh, they, they are tough. I mean, he, he was good for what he was, but he was just a really weird poet. He never gained popularity. He published a couple of books of, of poems that just were flops. Um, but he was an incredible writer. He wrote beautiful prose. And one of the neat things about his prose, which is non-poetry, you know, in, in writing you've got poetry and then you've got prose. Prose is what everybody else is able to do that can't write poetry. Uh, but he wrote prose in such a beautiful way, it reads almost like poetry. It's, it's filled with images. It's filled with alliteration. It's got, it sounds gorgeous when it's read, whether it's a children's book like you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or a scholarly book like The Allegory of Love, or something more common like uh, Mere Christianity, which interestingly enough was actually, it began as a series of broadcast talks that were being aired on the BBC radio during World War II to encourage the nation, to encourage its military. That there's reason even in the midst of death and devastation and horror, there is reason to have hope in God. We can count on Him. He will help us to get through this. It's interesting, the most popular book that he ever wrote, the... the, the most purchased book that he ever wrote, I believe, I'm assuming a lot here about mere Christianity, it began as a voice on the radio. One of the 
the reason I bring him up is he believed that literature is to be read out loud. A lot of you know that he was part of a group called the Inklings. He and uh, Tolkien began that group together and then invited in a few of their friends to be a part of it. And one of the things that they commonly did was as they met in their weekly meetings, they would read to one another what they were writing. They wouldn't just distribute it and say, all right, take it home, read it, proof it, bring it back. They would read out loud what they were writing because literature is to be read. It's to be heard. Too many of us, I think all of us probably, are, are too dependent upon just a printed word on a page and we, we rob ourselves of the beauty of being able to vocalize what's been given to us. And God has entrusted to us, to His church, a series of beautifully poetic prayers and hymns. I want to encourage you, as you use the Psalms daily, start maybe today with Psalm 1. It's easy, it's simple, it's short. Read them audibly. Maybe as a family. Like, all right, guys, Dad's about to read out loud. Everybody, quiet down. Maybe you want to step out on the back deck. Maybe you want to, don't read them in the car while you're driving. That's it's doable but dangerous. But read them out loud. Listen to the beauty of them. One of the things is that we're robbed of is, of course, even if they rhyme in the Hebrew, they don't rhyme in the English. So we miss some of that beauty when we're just reading words on a page. But when you vocalize them, you realize the power of them. You realize that, there's, that there are high points in the Psalms. There are low points in the Psalms. There are times when the psalmist is going on and on and on. There are times when his thoughts are quick. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Make use of them. Make use of them prayerfully. Lift them up in your daily reading as prayers to God. Confess when you feel angry like the psalmist. Make your requests known to God and use them as an anchor for trust. That God is the one who lifts up the humble. God is the one who is high above and yet who condescends, who draws near. And He is the one who raises us up, who meets our needs. He's the one who opens the wounds that are barren. He is the one who takes those who are on the ash heap and makes them to be princes. You'll find some Psalms that recount Israel's history of redemption. They recount the Red Sea. They recount how God delivered them from Egypt through the plagues. How God opened up a land flowing with milk and honey for them. A land that He had promised to their forefather Abraham. You find recounting and retelling of the tales of redemption. Use them. Use them. Not just the ones that are familiar to you like the 23rd, but even ones that are unfamiliar to you like the 113th. 
as you use them. I want to encourage you to let your life be lifted to God in praise. Lift up who you are. Lift up what you have. Lift up your successes. Lift yourself up in praise to Him. Your voice, your thoughts, let the cry of your life be that of hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise His name. His name is exalted, and yet He draws near. Praise the Lord.